Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. So let's get right into the Word, knowing that God will speak into our lives today. See, see people in, Amer- in Africa praise God just like you guys do, you know. So, but any, anyway, I must say, I just thought of something. This was the last service. This was actually after the end of the service. People didn't want to go. They just wanted to praise God. So we did this at, until the end. And the last night is the Holy Ghost night. And in that town, we had so many demon-possessed people delivered. You know, people falling on the ground, screaming, devils coming out of them. So on the last night, I pray for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost came on the crowd, it was like it just exploded. There were, I don't know how many thousands of people just began to speak in other tongues and people were falling down on the ground and, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, when the Holy, you could actually feel it, you know, when the Holy Ghost fell on a crowd with such power, you could actually feel it. It was like a shock wave goes through your body. When that happened, uh, I've seen this weird things like that only twice in my life, twice or thrice, three times. A, a strange winged creature, uh, like a bat, but African bats are about this small. It was about this large, and it had a weird human-type face. It just, it just rose up from the middle of the crowd, and, and those people who were there didn't know where it came from. It just rose from the middle of the crowd and quickly flew out of there. And, uh, and uh, I, I didn't see it because I was on my knees, and, but, but people saw it. My team saw it. Uh, people about 100 yards away saw it. People, a lot of people saw, saw that thing. Uh, I mean, the Holy Ghost fell. And people broke into other tongues, and then this thing just took off and flew out of there. And so, you know, you, you have demonic manifestations there. And, you know, some of the stuff we talk about demons in America are actually peanuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, we talk about you have a troublesome mother-in-law, that's a demon. And, <laughs> and then, you know, you want her to barf into a bucket. And, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, that, that, that's peanuts. This, I'm talking about re- real stuff. Another time I remember that we cast the devil out of a woman and suddenly this black creature, and this bat was covered with some kind of black fur. You could see the details, and uh, there, there was an animal like a rodent about this big, covered with black bristle. It actually came flying out of this woman. Uh, you know, stuff like that, and uh, I mean, <laughs> like Harry Potter and Stephen King, you know. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So that's why, you know, I tell people, I said, listen, uh, the devil is real, but Jesus is also real. So it's so important for us to walk holy and to walk pure before God, you know, and not give. We talk about giving room to the devil, and people say, I give to the room to the devil. I live in sin. What's wrong with me? Well, you don't know what's in there, you know. So I tell people, I don't want to talk about, you know, give the devil more than he is worth. But the whole point is that we, we... we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to walk pure and holy before God. Amen? Okay, let's, let's go to the Word of God now that I've scared you. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to the Word of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about the final words that the Lord Jesus spoke when he was on this earth. Are you with me? 
We have time, Pastor? Okay. Acts 1. So that was a little less than enthusiastic. Yes, one from that corner. Well, I, I intend to preach, okay? I can't. I'm, I'm not going to let you go. In fact, I'm doing you a favor because by the time you get to the restaurant, the other people would have already eaten and left. So <laughs> you, you won't have to stand in line, you know. Let the Baptists and all the others eat and go, and then you come. The waiters are waiting for you. Amen? And they'll be glad to see you because they know the people from the island church are the best tippers and the best givers. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Uh, it says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, which proves Jesus liked to eat. He wasn't always fasting. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has said by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So we know that these were his final words, because when he had, when he had finished speaking, he was taken up to heaven, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, it's interesting. He begins by saying, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. And the Bible says he gave them this command. In other words, it is a command for us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues. It is not an option. It is not a luxury, but it is a command. He said to his disciples, to all of them, not to some of them, but to all of them, don't go anywhere, but wait in Jerusalem until you receive that which the Father has promised, because John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Anyway, and, and, but, but, their, their, but their, their response was astounding. Their response was this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, I, I thought of this so many times. What, what is, where did that come from? You know, because he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they're talking about, is that when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I, I couldn't understand it for many, many years until I began to study a little bit of history last year. And that's when I, I realized where they were coming from. And I want to share that with you because it proves to us how, how, we, uh, how we often tend to interpret Scripture through the prism of our experiences and our circumstances. So I want to give you an idea of what it was like for Israel during the time of Jesus. Now, uh, firstly, the, the Israelites were a very proud nation. They knew that they were God's covenant people. They knew that they were unique. They knew that they were special. So they were very aware of that. And secondly, all, they also knew that all the prophets who had spoken uh, were from Israel. And, um, and the law of God was given through Israel. So they were uh, aware of all that. And plus, in addition to that, them, uh, their awareness of their own uniqueness and them being special. They always had their own kingdom and they had their own kings. 
So, but when Jesus came, they had lived under foreign occupation for almost four centuries. I mean, that's longer than the United States has existed. So the, so, so the kingdom of Israel was gone. They didn't have a kingdom anymore, but they had lived under foreign occupation for almost 400 years. And then came Jesus. Now, during these four centuries, almost four centuries, uh, the, the first occupiers were the Babylonians. The Babylonians came and ruled them. And after the Babylonians came the Seleucid Greeks. Now, the Greeks were unique in the sense that the Greeks carried a, a very, uh, how do you say, a, a very strong linguistic and cultural heritage. And they always left a cultural and linguistic footprint wherever they went. So uh, the, the Greeks left their language behind. And, and to a certain extent, they even influenced the culture of the Israelites to the point that uh, that when the books of the New Testament were written over 120 years after the Greeks had left, and although the writers of the books of the New Testament were Hebrews, were Israelites who spoke Aramaic as their everyday language, and the religious language was Hebrew, when they wrote the books of the New Testament, they wrote them in classical Greek. And not only in classical Greek, but in good, high-quality classical Greek, because all the, you know, all, all the literature, everything was done in the Greek language. So that's very striking. That tells you something about the, 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 liter you know, the linguistic and the cultural footprints that the uh, Greeks left behind. So anyway, then the Greeks left, and after the Greeks came the Romans, and the Romans were the worst of all. They were the worst. I mean, they were brutal occupiers. They used to kill people. I mean, there were summary executions left and right, and it, it was terrible. I mean, they, they were very cruel, very brutal. Their taxation system was like extortion, and that is why uh, the tax collectors were the most hated people during the time of Jesus, because they did all the Romans' dirty work by, you know, by their extortion of taxes. So anyway, during these four centuries, there had been a number of uprisings when there were, there were strong men who had risen up and, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, to, 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 to free, to liberate the Israelites from their occupiers. But all these, all these uh, how do you say, uprisings had been, had been defeated. They had been squashed, except one man called Judas Maccabeus. In fact, if you go to Israel, if you read the history of Israel, he's quite a revered, you know, heroic figure because, the, you know, you talk about Judas Maccabeus and the Maccabees because he, he led an uprising and which, which had some limited success. Uh, he rose up against the Seleucid Greeks and he did manage to liberate a small chunk of territory where he established a Jewish kingdom known as the Hasmonean Kingdom. And it was so called because he came from the, Judas Maccabeus came from the Hasmonean dynasty and his brother was the first king of the Hasmonean Kingdom. And that, but that lasted a short time because when the Romans came, they destroyed that. But now, during these four centuries, what had happened is that the that the that the Jews they they begin to view the all the messianic scriptures all the scriptures that 
promised them a Messiah as the Messiah being a military figure who would liberate them from their occupiers. Because it talked about, you know, he will establish the kingdom of David and his kingdom shall be forever. So they used to, th they used to believe that the Messiah would be like a military figure who would miraculously throw the Romans or whoever was occupying them off and they would have their own kingdom again. And so into this situation came Jesus. Jesus was born into that situation. Now, there were two unique things about the ministry of Jesus. The first thing was that the Bible says that nobody ever spoke like he did because his word was with power. Whenever he spoke, demons used to come out of people. I mean, amazing. He had great wisdom in everything he said. The second thing about Jesus was that he had miracles which nobody had ever seen before. So we understand that the Pharisees were jealous of him. It was some kind of professional jealousy because he could do all these things that they couldn't. And, he, and people called him a rabbi, although he was not really, he hadn't been to their theological cemetery, I mean seminary, but uh, they used to acknowledge him as a rabbi and as a master, as one who knew the scriptures. So anyway, but Jesus did all these miracles. And, and so there was... There were these people, you know, who were looking for him, a liberator, a messiah, who followed him around. And if you remember, one of them was known as Simon the Zealot. You remember that? And the zealots were those people who believed in these uprisings, you know, violent uprisings. So anyway, they had, uh, uh, Jesus had his, you know, people watching him. And you remember that great miracle he did, which I believe, numerically speaking, was the greatest miracle he ever performed, which we call the feeding of the 5,000. But historians say uh, that it was actually about 20,000 people who were fed because it says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So that's why historians say there should have been about 20,000 people who were fed using two sardines and five little bread rolls. And so that's why, the, uh, you know, and the Bible tells us that after that miracles, they tried to force him to be their king. They said, you know what, Jesus, whether you like it or not, you're going to be our king. But, but he was not interested in becoming their king. In fact, during his entire ministry, he did not make one single political statement. You know, not once. He never even said, he, he, he refused to say anything against the Romans who were oppressing and killing his own people. You know, who, I mean, the only time he even came close to making a political statement was when they asked him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he said, well, show me a coin whose picture, do you see on this coin? Caesar, okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. I mean, I think that was brilliant. You know? Now, that's very different to what happens in America, how we, we rail. I'm not going to go there, but I think, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the politicization of the church of Christianity in America is the greater detriment to the spread of the gospel. Because half of the people in America don't, you know, we, we actually hate them, believe me. We may not admit it, but we are actually, because of the hateful things we say against about half of our own population, we are unable to, to reach them with the gospel because of the things we believe and we say about them. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's true. And, and until we face it, instead of getting mad at me, if, if you face it, if you face it and you repent, we might get somewhere. Yeah. But if you get angry at a guy because, okay, fine, keep it, stew in your juices if you want to. But that's, but that's true. 
That's true. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is our greatest example. But what, what Jesus did, what he did, he talked about the kingdom of God. And in fact, you know, I mean, they wanted to kill some Romans. Because the Romans were bad. But Jesus said the opposite of what they were thinking. He said, love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. I, want to, I love to kill them. <laughs> love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. If someone takes your shirt, give him your coat also. Why? He says, so that you may be children of your father. Who causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall and the just and the unjust. Why should we love our enemies? Why should we love those who think different from us? For one simple reason. So that we may, we may be children of our father who loves all mankind. Are you with me? So anyway, anyway, oh brother, I had to say that brother Rusty, so amen. But anyway, but anyway, so this was the climate and he talked about the kingdom of God and they were thinking, doesn't he know what we are going through? Doesn't he see what's happening here? I mean, we have been suffering like this and he's talking about that other kingdom of God and He's got his head up in the clouds and what's going on? But they still followed him around because he was the guy with the miracles. Yeah. Still followed him around and he was the man with the miracles. And then what does he do? He goes and dies on the cross. And when he dies, I mean, that took everyone. Nobody was expecting that. I'm, I'm thinking, they must have been thinking, he's going to come around. Yeah. But he never came around. He dies on the cross. Yeah. And when he dies, their dreams die with him. But then he makes the ultimate comeback. I mean, you talk about making a comeback. On the third day, Jesus comes out of the grave. And when he rises from the grave, their dreams are resurrected. And they begin to follow him around again. And what does he do? For 40 days, he talked about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But they, they kept their hopes alive that he is going to come around and going to see things our way. Now comes the last day. And he says, okay, boys, let me tell you something. Come around. And they all come around and he says to them, he says, listen, don't go anywhere, but wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Because John baptized you in water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And they, what did they say? Is that when you're going to do it? Yeah. Is that when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what does he say to that? He says two things. The first thing he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has decided. Yeah. Hello, yeah. 23rd September, came and went. Yeah. <laughs> and I told people, I said, listen, if you really, really, really believe, if you really believe that 23rd September is the end of the world, there's only one way to show it. Go to the bank, take the biggest loan you can yeah. get. And send the money to me. <laughs> because when you are gone, I'm going to go use that to win some souls. Amen. But nobody took me up on that. But anyway, you know, it's not for us to know the times or dates. But now let, let's, let's pause a little bit. If we, you know, those disciples, they couldn't see. I mean, we can 
think, well, these people couldn't see what was happening. I understand. I mean, if you and I were alive at that time, we'd be just like them because no man can look into the future. But we can all look at the past. And as we look at the past, we look at history. What really came out of those days was that Jesus died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And for the next 30, 35 years, things went on as they always had for the Israelites. The Romans were still there. Their oppression was still there. And then finally there was one more uprising. And by this time, the Romans had enough of the Israelites and their uprisings. So they sent their general Titus, who was an exceptionally brutal man. And Titus came, in, came marching all the way from Rome with his legions. And he set about killing as many Jews as he could find. And he began to destroy the city of Jerusalem. He re reduced the city of Jerusalem to rubble. He destroyed their temple. He destroyed everything to the point that even today, 2,000 years later, archaeologists are digging through the ruins and trying to figure out where the different buildings were, you know, stood, one stood that are mentioned in the Bible and in historical works. And the Jews were scattered to the four corners of the earth. And they couldn't get their kingdom back. In fact, they had to wait 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years, when the Jews could finally come back to the land. And even then, only two of the 12 tribes came back. When I was in India, in the east, in the far eastern part of India, where the people have oriental features, I saw a team of Orthodox Jewish, what do you call it, uh, you know, uh, genetic experts who do, and they were doing DNA tests to see, you know, if there's any people there of Jewish heritage. And they told me, we have identified some people living here who are Jews. It's interesting. And certain groups have been identified as being of Jewish heritage. There's a group in China who are supposedly Jews. They have the same DNA. Another group is the, is the people of Mizoram in eastern India, between Burma and Bangladesh and that part of India. They are, they are Jewish. Another, and this will blow you off your seat, are the other are the uh, Pashtun tribes in Afghanistan and Pakistan who make the bulk of the Taliban. I knew this years ago because I grew up there and I served in the army there. And uh, when you would, you know, there were officers who served together with me and you would ask them, uh, tell us about your history. And they had a verbal history. And they said, well, we used to be Jews and we converted to Islam centuries ago. So, you know, so all those tribes are out there, and but God says somehow he's going to bring them back, and our human mind cannot figure that out, but God is a God of miracles. He's going to do it somehow. Amen? Amen. So they've come back. They still don't have the temple worship and all that, and God does have a plan for them, which will unfold in the last days. We don't see everything, but it will happen. Yeah. But what did come out of that was that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost came down, and that day was born a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, or the church. Yeah. And the church has grown to be the biggest and most powerful nation on this earth today. Yeah. 
We don't have a national, we don't have national boundaries. We don't uh, elect a president. We don't have politicians. We don't have congressmen or senators. We don't have a, a football team. We don't send a team to the Olympics. We don't have a seat in the United Nations. We are not members of the Red Cross. We don't even have a national flag. But we have a king, a king, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus. And once Jesus gets in there, people who believe in him, their allegiance to him becomes greater than their allegiance to the nation in which they are born. That is the hold and the influence that Jesus Christ has over the hearts of men. And that is why if there is anything that the dictators of this world fear, it is Christianity. Because when Christianity comes in, they're going to lose the hold and the control they have over people. And you and I are part of that kingdom. Hallelujah. And I thank God for this kingdom instead of the kingdom of Israel. Because, you know, there's one thing about the kingdom of Israel. The Israelites wanted their kingdom back. Nobody else wanted the kingdom of Israel. You know why? Because the kingdom of Israel was only for the Israelites. Now, I know many Christians, you know, they like to wave flags and blow shofars in church. And God bless you. But listen, listen to me. If you're a shofar blower, let me just tell you one thing. The king, if you are not of Jewish heritage, you were an outsider. You could blow your shofar as much as you wanted, but they wouldn't accept you. Oh, you love shofars. Come and join us. Sit with me, brother. Please, please. No, no. You were outside because all the promises of God were for them. But in the kingdom that Jesus Christ established, everybody has a seat at the table. Arabs like me, and there's people of African heritage and people of Oriental heritage. The Bible says, we who were far, we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, every man, every woman, every child on this earth has a chance to be a child of God and has a seat at the Father's table. Hallelujah. That is why, that is why, thank God for the cross. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the gospel. Thank God for the new covenant through which we all have a place. Hallelujah. Amen. So all that, that is, if you look at history, that's what came out of those days. And God, that's, that was God's design. He wanted to establish a new covenant. He wanted to do something through which the doors of salvation would be open to all mankind. Because in the, in the, in the Old Testament, he was Yahweh Shammah, he was Yahweh Sidkenu, he was Yahweh Rapha, he was Yahweh Roy, he was Yahweh Ra, he was all those things, but only to one group of people. Yeah. And now, instead of the Yahweh names, we have one name, Jesus. And through that name, we have salvation, we have righteousness, we have all, all the attributes of, the seven, of, of those Jehovah names, those that attributes of the covenant of of the promise of healing the promise of victory the promise of healing the promise of deliverance all those things brother belong to us through jesus christ are you with me so now that was the design of god but they couldn't see it. they just wanted their kingdom back they wanted the romans out but god wanted to give them something far better and that has come so 
This is what he said. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has decided. But when the Holy Ghost shall come. Now, he's, he's, you know, he's saying something very radical because in the Jewish mindset, God is somebody so distant. You're not even allowed to mention his name. Right. You know, we say, we just sang a song in which we mentioned the name of Yahweh. No Jew would ever do that. Yeah. You're not even allowed to say that name. I mean, God, the whole concept of God. But for us, we talk about, you know, well, God just said this to me and I feel the presence of God. You know, we, we, we talk that language. But for, for, you know, you see, I grew up as a Muslim and in, in Islam, there's a word called shirk. And shirk means when a man can presume to have fellowship with God or be close to God or to hear the word of God. That's shirk. Or we say Jesus is the son of God or I say I'm a son of God. God is my father. That's shirk. That's the, you know, when a man can presume to be like this with God. Now, Hebrew and Greek are very, I'm sorry, Hebrew and Arabic are very similar language. So in Arabic, the word is shirk. In Hebrew, the word is sharaka. It means the same thing. That's why those Pharisees, they wanted to kill Jesus when he says things like, you know, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Son does nothing except that which he sees the Father do. In fact, the Father loves the Son and shows him all things. And they, they were mad at him for saying those things. You can't say that. How can you presume that God would even talk to you and that you are one with him? But the Greek equivalent of that word is used in the New Testament when Paul talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Hallelujah. We have fellowship with God. So we don't realize how blessed we are yeah. above all religions. Amen? Amen. So he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit, uh, most people's understanding of the Holy Spirit is very strange. They think that the Father is this big old man sitting in heaven. And Jesus is sitting next to him. And, uh, and then the Holy Ghost is like this funny, you know, thing that goes around. Sometimes he makes people fall. Sometimes he makes people laugh. And sometimes he makes people run. And sometimes he just makes them shake. And they say, you see, that's the Holy Ghost. You see, when that, when that happens, or sometimes the leg, you see that? You see, or sometimes go, oh, you see that? You see, you see that? Just watch me. You see that? That's the Holy Ghost. Now. The Holy Ghost is the third person of the Trinity. He, God is one. There is only one God, but he has revealed himself as three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The difference is that the Father is in heaven. Jesus is at his right-hand side. But everything that the Father and the Son say or do on this earth, they do so through the Holy Spirit. That's the only difference. Amen? Now, the, the Holy Spirit is a person. We can talk to him. He can instruct us. We can worship him. So Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. That makes it very personal. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. That the Holy Spirit, not only has he come, but he wants to come upon you. Now, the Holy Spirit has been around on this earth for 2,000 years. But my question is, how much room have you given him? So it's not a question of how much of the Holy Spirit you and I have. But it's how much of you and me does the Holy Spirit have? 
How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Have you yielded yourself and surrendered yourself to the point where you say, Holy Spirit, you have come. I want you to come upon me. I want you to, I just want you to take over my life. Now, another thing we must remember that the Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. He is holy. When the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, there was also a voice from heaven. And what did that voice say? The voice said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. In fact, the Holy Spirit will only come not upon a perfect vessel because there is no such thing. But the Holy Spirit will come upon a holy vessel. That's why one of the commandments we have is to be holy. I think sometimes we don't talk about it enough because we sometimes, you know, we look at there are too many preachers out there who are not holy men, but God uses them. So we sometimes have this attitude that it's, it's okay. God is, you know, can't be legalistic. Holiness is not the same thing as being legalistic. Yeah. Sometimes we think, you know, God just winks at some of the stuff we do. And as long as God uses me, you know, I still feel the anointing. I live in adultery, but, you know, I, I feel good in meetings. And, you know, it's, it's not about that. God is a holy God. And I don't believe, I personally don't believe that a person who, who, who does not live a separated and sanctified life, a person who tolerates sin in his life and is not quick to repent can actually be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. There are counterfeit spirits also. One example is Saul. The Bible says the spirit of the Lord departed from him and an evil spirit came into him. But that evil spirit was such a counterfeit that when David came close to him, what did David say? I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And the implication is that David believed that Saul was the Lord's anointed. Although Saul was no longer the Lord's anointed, he had an evil spirit. And another thing is that, you know, the Bible tells us there's a warning on that, on, on the, on that day. There's many people who will stand before God and say, God, I did, you know, I had miracles in my ministry. And, and Jesus will say, I don't know you. I see miracles in my ministry. I've seen dead people raised up, blind people receive their sight. I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of any man. But if there's one fear I do have in my life, it is that I don't want to stand before God that day and God will say, Christopher Alam, I didn't know you. That's why the, the Bible does say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it has nothing to do with legalism or unbelief. Because we have an exhortation to be holy. So when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, one of the prerequisites, there's two things, two prerequisites. First, be holy. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. There was only one perfect man and they crucified him. But separate ourselves unto God. Totally separate ourselves from the world. I believe in separation from the world. I don't believe you can be a pop singer singing ungodly songs and then speak in tongues and say, I'm Pentecostal. I'm sorry. That thing doesn't happen. People might say it does, but it's not right. The Bible says, come out from among them. Be separate. Hello. you got to do something with that verse. Amen. So... 
I'm talking about holiness and purity. And that's the first thing. And the second thing is this yielding of ourselves. Saying, Jesus, I want you, Holy Spirit, I want you to come and just take my life and have your way with me. When the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, the first thing he says, you shall receive power. That word power is the Greek word dynamis, which is used several times in the New Testament. And it actually means brute force. Means power. That's the verse that is used. That's the word that is used when the woman with the issue of blood came and touched Jesus. And the Bible says virtue flowed from him. Remember? He says somebody touched me because I felt the virtue or the power. That's the Greek word dynamis. Or other places where it says that, that the people were laid down on the ground so that they may touch him. And, and how the virtue flowed from him and healed them. So the promise of God. This is the promise of God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Jesus is saying that the same, same divine substance that flowed from me into all those people, into that woman with the issue of blood, that same divine substance is going to flow from you. But why don't we see it happen? There's only one reason. Because our expectations do not rise to the level of the promise of God. If God has promised it, it is so. We cannot have our expectation at a lower level than the promise of God. Thinking, no, I know God said this, but it's too much. I don't want to expect it. No, it would be foolish. No, if God has says it, if God has said it, it is so. And what did Jesus say? He says, you should receive the same divine substance that flowed from, one, uh, from my garment when the woman with the issue of blood touched me. He says, and you should say, amen, so be it, Lord. I receive it. And that, that is included in the baptism with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then it tells us why we shall receive this power. Not so that I can have a healing ministry. But we can be his witnesses. A witness is somebody who can give evidence in court under oath. I once witnessed a crime and the police rounded up everybody who happened to see what happened. Took our names and addresses and then I got a summons. A letter which is called a summons in which I was called to court. And then the first question they asked me, were you there? Did you see what happened? I said, yes, sir. Now, if I had said, no, I didn't, I was not there, but I read about it in the newspaper the next day. I'm not a witness. Even though the newspaper describes everything. Thank you. Go ahead, take some more pictures. Here's another good one. Here's another good one. Here's another good one. Okay. Praise God. I get nervous when someone sits there, you know, pointing the camera. So that's my way of killing that nervousness, you know. So that nervousness is dead now. You can do whatever you like. Don't bother me. A witness is somebody who can give evidence. And we can give evidence that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he's alive. Because in the book of Acts, it, 
You see, the, the apostles, the early apostles didn't have the New Testament. The New Testament was written afterwards. But what they testified of, it says again and again. He says, with great power, they testified of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So what we are called to testify about, to witness, is the fact that Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. And a living Jesus does exactly the same things today that he did 2,000 years ago. Amen. A, a dead Jesus is somebody who did great things, but he cannot do them today. Why? Because he is dead. But a living Jesus does exactly the same things today that he did 2,000 years ago because the Bible says he's alive today and that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that is why God has anointed us with the power of the Holy Spirit. He has given us his dunamis power so we can testify to the world and show them that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, I, look, I grew up as a Muslim, and Islam is very similar to Christianity. The Quran is the size of the New Testament and, uh, and a lot of the teachings in, 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 the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament are actually found in the Quran. There's a lot of similarities and you can sit and debate until the cows come home and be inconclusive because you say to somebody who knows the Quran, this is what the Bible says, say, yeah, but the Quran also says this and it's true. Very similar. But the difference is that the prophet Muhammad is dead. But Jesus Christ is alive. How do I know he's dead? Because my entire family has visited his tomb in the city of Medina. They have seen it. They have been there and prayed there. I have only been to one tomb, and that is in Jerusalem. And there's nobody in there. But there's a sign inside the tomb which says he is not here but he is risen so what is our testimony our testimony isn't that Christianity is better than any other religion you know or people talk about Judeo-Christian ethics I don't know what they are talking about you know don't talk above people's heads Jesus said feed my lambs he didn't say feed my giraffes you know the kind of feeding feeding giraffes while the poor lamb are out there and they're just hungry, you know. Scratch where it itches. Don't talk, you know, highfalutin religion and well, talk about Jesus and the fact that he died and he is alive today and he will heal you, he will change your life, he will save you, he will set you free. Is there, you know, Jesus said when he sent the, his, his 72 out in, in uh, you know, in the gospel of Luke, he yeah. says, when you go into somebody's house, what do you do? The first thing you do, heal the sick that are there. Yeah. That's what he said. He didn't say, give them a tape series on healing. <laughs> he said, heal the sick that are there. Yeah. That's what he said. Heal the sick who are there. How do you do that? Because the Holy Ghost lives in you. Amen. 
The third person of the Trinity lives in you. And the Bible says you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So we better start believing some things. You shall be my witnesses. Then he tells us where we shall be his witnesses. First of all, he says, Jerusalem, which was their home turf, you know. Galveston. You know you, people, people know you. Small place, you know. Then Judea. Judea was the greater national area where the Jewish people lived. And then Samaria. Now those are the people who don't like you. And you don't like them. They have a different religion. Remember Jesus walked to the Samaritan woman. What did he say? He didn't preach to her. He said, can I have a glass of water? And she launched into this big thing about, why are you even talking to me? We have no dealings with one another because you worship in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. All this lecture just because he asked for a glass of water. <laughs> we are different. We don't like you. You don't like us. We, have, we don't do business with each other. But what did Jesus say to us? Who are your enemies? I think sometimes we think of too much as Americans and too little as Christians. God has sent, you know one great thing about America, God has sent people to this country from all over the world. And you don't have to go overseas. The missions field is right here. They are here. What an opportunity. Some people will complain. While others will look at it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Yeah. Hallelujah. But you can't, you can't preach the gospel even to your next door neighbor as long as you treat him as your enemy. Yeah. And you have preconceived ideas about him. Jesus said, love your enemies. Amen. Amen. He may not even be your enemy, but he's your enemy in your brain. Because you listen to too much talk show radio. And read your Bible too little. Yeah. Hello. Amen. Am I getting anywhere with this? Yes. If you spend more time listening to your talk show radio host than you spend in your Bible, then you'll begin to think, oh, these people are enemies. Oh, I wonder, if I've got to watch him, you know. He might be preparing a bomb in his house, you know. <laughs> Paranoia. Fear brings paranoia. Yeah. But perfect love casts out fear. Yes, a man who is full of love he has no fear. Amen. 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 Are you with me? Yes. So he says, then he says to Samaria, the enemy, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That means people who live far, far away. Yeah. Right. Uttermost parts of the earth. I've been there. One of the uttermost parts I went to was Irian Jaya. I got on a plane. This pastor said, brother, we are going to the end of the earth. I said, where's the end of the earth? He said, there is a place. And he, we got on a plane. We flew six and a half hours, and then we landed in the town of Jayapura. He says, in the interior, it's all jungle. He said, there's no roads there. We have to fly from place to place, small aircraft and helicopters. We're going to fly there. We're going to preach there. Then he says, the people are cannibals. I said, cannibals, I don't want to be eaten. He says, don't worry, they eat white people. 
Hallelujah. I'm thankful I'm a brown man. White people are the other white meat. They love to eat white people. Now, I don't know why, but that's what I was told. They love to eat. So <laughs> they love. He says, they love to eat white people. Then they told me about some German woman who had been eaten up. I said, you know, praise God, you know, God made me brown. You know. Even the cannibals discriminate against us. I don't know what to say that. But anyway, so we landed in this place, and we landed there, and they, then they told me, you know, these people walk around naked. I said, no. He said, no, they walk around naked. I said, how do they protect themselves from mosquitoes and insects? He said, they rub themselves with raw pig fat. I say, of course, I know even the flies would stay away from that, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm standing here waiting, and in walks a guy stark naked. <laughs> now, don't let your mind go there, but he's completely nude, except he's wearing a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses <laughs> and a baseball cap. And I said to the pastor, I said, you know what is really sad? That American culture has been here before the gospel. Chicago white socks. And he was not wearing them. And Ray-Ban sunglasses. And you know, he's kind of scratching himself all over, touching himself. Then he wants to shake my hand. And I said, ooh. And, and then the pastor said, you better shake his hand or he'll get offended. So I put a couple of fingers out there. You know, and he, and he, he shook my hand. And then he, then he wanted to hug me. I said, oh. So I said, yeah, I let him hug. You know, those Christian hugs. You know, especially when the ladies hug you, you go like this, you know. So he hugged me. And the moment he turned his back, I pulled out my hand sanitizers. <laughs> but anyway, this is true. I'm not making them. But anyway, let me, let me, on a serious note, let me tell you a story about going to the ends of the earth. When I was a little kid, I was maybe seven, eight, or nine years old. My father was transferred to a place called East Pakistan, which is now Bangladesh. And um, I was just a little kid. I don't remember exactly, but I was about seven, eight, nine years old. And um, one day my dad said to me, no, we had learned, he had taught us to hunt and shoot from the time we were small. We always had guns. We were always hunting and all that. So one day he said, we are going on an elephant hunt. So I said, dad, are we going to shoot elephants? Then he said, no. It was more like a field trip. And he said, well, he says, these he says, the jungles here are teeming with wild elephants. So what they do, they have a way of capturing these wild elephants. Then they tame and domesticate these wild elephants and train them to work in the jungles where trucks and tractors cannot go. So all the logging operations and the, and, and the, and the mining and even uh, uh, agriculture in the, you know, in, in the fields, everything is done using elephants. So anyway, we drove two days through the jungle on these old willies, M38A1 jeeps. We drove through two days through the jungle, and then we crossed the border into Burma. 
And then we saw the whole operation, how they caught these elephants and all that. It was, it was fascinating. I still remember. But when we crossed the border into Burma, I had this, I don't know whether it was a voice or an impression or whatever it was, but something said within me, one day you're going to come back here and you're going to do some big things in this nation. And that thing left me. I never gave it a second thought. But about 38 years later, I was back in Burma to preach the gospel. So, and I remember when I came there, I was preaching that whole, that voice came back to me about, you know, uh, I mean, that, that I, I just remembered everything. So anyway, we had great meetings. People were safe. People were healed. We had, it was a good time. But, but then Burma at that time was ruled by a military dictatorship that was very, you know, that was brutal towards Christians. They persecuted Christians. It was very, very bad. And so what happened was that... Uh, was that uh, immediately after I left, the military cracked down and they arrested the pastors and tortured them. It was very bad. So they wrote to me and they said, Brother, please don't come back for at least a year, wait a year. So a year later, I was back. And I was praying, and in a course of five days in, in Thailand and in Burma, um, I had three open visions. That has never happened to me before that or since then. And a lot of things the Lord dealt with me about, but one of the things the Lord told me, I want you to come back here and begin to plant churches. And will you do that for me? I said, no, I won't. And the Lord said, why? I said, because I'm not as reckless as I used to be when I was a single guy. When, you know, when I got saved, the first thing I spent a year in prison almost a year, a little bit less than a year for preaching the gospel. I was reckless. I, I wanted to look for places where there was a possibility of me getting killed, you know. But then I got married and you have kids and that's when you begin to, it has a tempering effect on you. And so I said, Lord, I don't want to die. I don't relish the thought of being tortured and beaten up by these guys and being killed, so I'm not going to do this. Then the Lord said to me, this is what he said, he said, do you remember 1977? I said, please don't bring it up again. <laughs> now, 1977, when I came out of prison in 76 and uh, uh, end of 76, something like that, and, or early 77, and then I had to escape. And, uh, and, um, uh, and I, my, you know, I came to Belgium. So I was in Belgium, and there I was with an organization called Operation Mobilization. And they were, I mean, these people are fanatics. And our founder, George Werber, was a total fanatic. And George is 85, 86 years old, and he hasn't changed. He's relentless, you know. He basically told us, if you're not living a life for Jesus, if, if you're not willing to die for Jesus, your life is worth nothing. And so we were fanatics. We wanted to die for Jesus. And the first book he gave us was called The Calvary Road. You read the first chapter and the second chapter, you were on your knees weeping and you read the rest of the book. Then he gave us a book called Come, Live, Die. I mean, just the title said everything. <laughs> I looked at the title, I said, oh, please, where is this going to take us? So I read Come, Live, and Die. And then the next thing, I was in a meeting and I remember I... I ran to the front and I went on my knees and tears flowing down my cheeks. I said, Jesus, I make a covenant with you. I'll go wherever you send me to go. And if I have to die, I will die. I will lay down my life for the gospel. Send me to somewhere where I can die. And I've regretted those words ever since. 
Because when I said, Lord, I want to go to Maui, the Lord sends me to Malawi, you know. <laughs> anyway. So the Lord said to me, do you remember in Leuven in Belgium, June 1977? I said, Lord, please, uh, those are words, foolish words I uttered in my youth. Please don't bring them up. And the Lord says, no, you said to me, so I want you to go and start planting churches here. And I said, okay. Then I got a smart idea. And smart idea was, if God can hold me to my words that I said 40 years ago, I can hold him to his word. So I said, okay, God, I will go. But let's make a deal. I will go if the Holy Ghost goes with me. But not the Holy Ghost of the churches back home in America where people line up and you give them a nudge and they do a courtesy fall. <laughs> catchers, like baseball game, you know, got catchers. And when they fall, the ushers come with this tablecloth and put it on the women's legs as if I'm going to look at their legs. I'm not interested. I'm a married man. I don't look at women's legs. But anyway, and I said, Lord, that kind of thing won't go down well in a place like Burma. I said, I want the book of Acts, Holy Ghost. Book of Acts. So I remember my first crusade. I finished preaching, did the altar call, and I called the sick, and the sick were all on one. Can, I, can you see me? Is it okay if I stand here? Okay. Anyway, so, so all the people were on one side, and I'm praying for the sick, and then out of the corner of my eye, I see a man wearing striped hospital pajamas. He looked like a living skeleton. In, I mean, in fact, he looked like a dead skeleton, just covered with skin, skin and bones. Three people were propping him up, and uh, there were a couple of people holding these uh, bottles of IV fluid, and they had, he had tubes running in, and he was standing there, and then I'm praying. And now, what I didn't know is that he was terminally, terminally ill, and they had brought him from the hospital. They had said to the doctors, look, He's dying. Let us take him to a healing meeting. And the doctor said, you know what? He's going to die anyway. He can die here. He can die in your meeting. Just take him. So they brought him. And uh, while I was praying, that man just slides to the floor and he lays down like this. And I'm watching all this. Then those people around there, they said something in their language, which I didn't understand. And there were about eight people who jumped to their feet, who were doctors and nurses. They all ran, and they did stuff. And then one of them spoke English. He looked at me and said, Pastor, he's dead. I said, well, do something if he's dead. Because people are not supposed to die in a Pentecostal meeting, you know. So do something. And, uh, and they said, but Pastor... He is dead. And I thought, you know, my, my wife is an RN. She's a nurse. And, and just to be romantic, I watch her when I'm home between trips. I like to watch her favorite shows. And she watches crime shows, you know, there's detective shows. And I can solve any crime. I can solve murders. <laughs> after. I'm an expert. In fact, when the show starts, I can tell you who did it, you know, <laughs> right at the beginning. And I'm normally right, you know. And secondly, I watch those medical shows so I can do brain surgeries. I can <laughs> clean using a hammer and a chisel. You know, I can 
I can, I, you know, I'm the MacGyver of medicine. I can do all those things. So I knew that they have the, the heart, uh, what do you, in Swedish we call it yet massage. It's like a heart massage. Yeah. Uh, so I said that, well, you know, because I can't do that. I can only do Pentecostal massage, you know. <laughs> so, so I said, do, do. And they said, Pastor, he's dead. And they all went back to the seats. And some fool, I call that man a fool, you know what he did? He went and took this man's hands and dragged him across the floor and lay him right in front of me. <laughs> and so I am, here I am. And I thought, you know, I went to Rama. They never taught us anything on this. Rama, they didn't teach us how to raise the dead. In fact, I've never met anybody who has raised a dead person, and I have never seen anyone attempt to raise a dead person, and I don't know what I'm going to do. So I stood there looking at it, and I thought, well, something has to happen. You know, I cannot dismiss the meeting. This dead man has killed my meeting. <laughs> not, only did he, not only did he die, but he also killed my meeting. So I thought, I got to do something about this, and then I got a bright idea. I thought, I don't know what to do, but the Holy Ghost knows. He knows everything. So you know what I did? I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be a fool of, I'm going to make a fool of myself doing this. But if I'm going to make a fool of myself, I might as well do it loud and proud, you know? <laughs> so I took, I, I just threw my hands up in the air, and I began to say, My interpreter came running. He said, what was that, Pastor? I said, I have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> so he looked at me, and I just went, on praying in tongues. People staring at me. I said, I don't care. After that, I didn't care. I thought, I'm, it's out there in the open. So, so as I prayed, I got louder and louder, and then things began to go through my mind. And the first thing was that scripture which says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So, now, there's two elements. The righteous man, the righteousness part is not a problem because I have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus. But the thing is the fervent prayer. And the word fervent is the word energeo, which means uh, something that generates heat, that generates energy. If we want to see a miracle, we must pray the kind of prayer that generates some heat, that raises the temperature of the room. You must pray with some fire. So I just went on praying. The real miracle was that nobody left. Everybody stayed there. I just went on. I don't know, maybe 40 minutes or so. 45 minutes because, you see, you got to pray yourself from a cold place to a hot place. You must pray yourself from life, you know, from death to life. You must pray yourself out of defeat to victory, out of unbelief to faith. You have to pray yourself out. I went on praying, and then suddenly after about 45 minutes, I, my eyes are closed, and I hear a shout, Hallelujah! And I opened my eyes, and it was the dead man. He had shot up from the floor, and he was standing on his feet with his hands in the air, and he was praising God. And I said, Oh, glory, you know. That was all I needed. 
from there I went all over Burma. And in the subsequent, subsequent years, we saw at least four people raised from the dead. We saw people who were deformed and crippled and blind, yet healed. I remember a, wo a woman who came, uh, somebody had shot an arrow into her eye. She had one eye, one empty socket. God created an eye. Uh, I remember a man called Silak. I remember his name. Silak was, was brought from the Hospital of Infectious Diseases in Mandalay. He was in the final stages of AIDS. His mother and sister had carried him. And today he's a powerful church planter and evangelist preaching the gospel all over Burma. He got healed. We saw so many miracles. And through all that, in the midst of persecution, we saw we planted 178 churches all over that Burma in the midst of all that persecution. Hallelujah. Let me just tell you something, that our gospel is an overcoming gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation, unto healing, unto del deliverance for all that who believe. Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. His word is still true today. It is as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. The gospel and the Holy Ghost is still the same. And when Jesus says, you shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, the Bible means that we will be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The power of God is still the same today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But if the world has changed Religious systems have changed. What people believe has changed. What people preach has changed. Churches have changed. Their doctrines have changed. But Jesus Christ is still the same. He has never ch changed. His word is still the same. If you believe and you, you stand up and believe in the word of God, you will receive your portion and you will see that everything in the Bible is true yes. hallelujah amen. we are more than conquerors yes, through jesus christ and greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world amen. hallelujah what a wonderful privilege it is to serve the living god what a privilege it is to preach the gospel what a privilege it is to follow jesus hallelujah you know, if we are going to follow Jesus, we might as well do it wholeheartedly, all out, holding nothing back, not believing 70 or 80 or 90 percent, but believing 100 percent. Let's bow our heads to Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.